I'm Alex Mellaris. And I'm Taisei Fu. Draft season is here. I was just telling Taisei that I have draft brain rot, as in it's the only thing I've been able to have a thought about for like the past two days, which I've got to say is extremely fun. I find I caved and got the uh, Elite Prospects draft guide. I could not hope to read every word in there if you gave me 100 years. <laughs> there is way too much. Um, if you're a, a draft nut, I would recommend it. It's great quality. They have like three pages about guys who they have listed as would not draft. Um, so anyway, I've gotten very up to speed on my draft knowledge as of late, cramming for it. And we're going to put that knowledge to the test at the very end of the episode when we do a mock draft. That's right. Uh, but first, we'll get to some... It was a pretty busy week. Well, I guess, you know, the lead-up to draft week is always pretty busy. Uh, but, you know, trades, signings, whatnot. Uh, let's get... Let's take a start with the trades. Trades are always fun. Yeah. Uh, we'll start chronologically. I think uh, the Kevin Fiala trade came first. Uh, so, yeah, Kevin Fiala was kind of in an untenable position in Minnesota. Wasn't really happy with the team. And they couldn't pay him because, uh, you know, they're out of cap space with the buyouts and whatnot. Uh, and so... Yeah, he, everybody kind of knew that he was being shopped. Not much lever- leverage for Minnesota there uh, because everybody kind of knew they weren't going to resign the guy. They didn't have the cap space. So, shipped him off to L.A., who offered them their first-round pick this year. And, uh, you know, noted prospect Brock Faber for uh, this. Kevin Fiala, first-line first winger, seems pretty underwhelming for a return for Minnesota, but not much else they could have done. You see, you say that, and I think a lot of people are saying that too, like, oh, Minnesota's hands were tied. And I know, you know, that up against the Cav after those those buyouts that are kicking in really heavily this year, Kevin Fiala was like the second or maybe third most important forward on the wild this year after Kaprizov and like maybe Eric Sinek. He scored 85 points, which is extremely good. He's 25 years old. He'll be 26 at the start of next season. And it seems like you know, they would, obviously, it would have been hard to keep him. That feels like the quality of player. You have to try a little more than they did. It feels like they just kind of, I don't know, they soured on, he soured on them a little bit. They didn't even feel like, it didn't feel like they were valuing him properly for the offensive value he brought to the team. And they were like, it was a foregone conclusion to them, to so many that was like, oh yeah, Fial is the one on the way out. It was like, why, why him? Why, why not try to clear out space with like trading? Marcus Foligno or Alex Goligoski or Dmitry Kulikov. Why not those pieces? Why why your top-line winger, especially when the return, everyone seems to agree, is pretty ho-hum? Yeah, I think it's a matter of the relationship wasn't good in the first place, right? Uh, it feels like we've been, for the whole year, really, it's like, oh, uh, sounds like Kevin Fiala's on his way out. Are they going to ship him out at the deadline or whatnot uh, to try to get a haul? And they didn't. But, you know, the, the seeds of discontent seem to have been sown pretty early. Uh, so, you know, that I think that's what kind of led them to, you know, giving up on the project and just shipping them out for whatever they could get. Uh, and, you know, you're right. I wouldn't agree with this with this move. Um, I, I would have frankly treated him better uh, and maybe given that contract because he's worth that. He's worth that as, uh, you know, the caliber that he's player. He drives play. And, uh, yeah, an- analytics darling that he is. So, yeah, no, I, I think, you know, Minnesota, they, they definitely take a massive hit in terms of their, you know, team quality. I think they're trying to get who at Matt Boley to kind of fill out that role. But, you know, he, he, it's only his second year. And uh, Kevin Fiala obviously established himself very well in that role. Uh, and, yeah, as for the return, 
for a player of that caliber. You know, like what are they, a mid round, uh, for mid round first and nineteenth overall, an okay defensive prospect. He's fine. Um, what is he like? He's he doesn't have too much offensive potential. It's just, yeah, maybe he'll top out as like a bottom four defenseman kind of guy. Not the kind of thing you want in return for Kevin Fiala. Yeah, Brock Faber, who was a second round pick of the Kings, defenseman. Um, that I don't see that as the main piece for Minnesota. I, they they like him, as you kind of say. I have a hard time kind of seeing him, you know, growing into a top four defenseman or anything like that. I think the 19th overall pick is really where they have to recoup this value. And honestly, if any team can, with the way Minnesota's drafted in the past few years, it can be them. So ever since Judd Brackett came over, they've been among the very, very best drafting teams in the NHL. Marco Rossi is another player who they hope is going to fill in some of Fiala's missing offense in his rookie season, which will probably be next season. Kuznadinov, last year they got goalie of the future, yes, for Wallstad. They've been doing great uh, in the draft in the first round and beyond. So uh, I, I won't try to guess who they're going to take 19th overall now. But in that range, of course, as with pretty much every range, there are players who slip. And Minnesota seems like they're well-adjusted enough to detect those players and snag them up. Yeah, uh, so as for the Kings, uh, Kevin Fiala, that's an instant boost to their forward core. And we talked about how, you know, going to the playoffs, at least I said, uh, that, you know, just that the, the roster's too young and it's just there's not enough established talent yet uh, to make any sort of challenge. I even, you know, picked them pick them to lose against Edmonton. Uh, and yeah, this you know, in terms of moving forward and trying to make that roster jump from kind of rebuild to, you know, perennial playoff team that can maybe try to win a round or two. Uh, this seems to, I, I, I like the addition because a, obviously just value wise, you're not, you're not giving up too much to get Kevin Fiala, but also uh, it allows you to, you know, bump your younger players down, you know, some and shelter their minutes and really kind of keep an eye on their development without forcing them into, you know, too big of minutes uh, and, you know, tough competition. Yeah. I, I love the addition for LA. He's instantly their biggest offensive weapon. Pretty much. I, I have very mixed feelings about the contract because nearly 8 million for a top line winger who yes, is coming off, you know, a point per game season. I think that's like by far the best season. He's, or maybe, maybe not by far. He's kind of been trending up lately. Okay. I can see it. I can see it, but especially, you know, when you're hoping that guys like, you know, Byfield, Turcotte, maybe even like Kaliev, Rasmus Kupari, Akil Thomas are going to grow into becoming your core forwards. It's kind of like, you know, by the time Fial's like 29, 30 and still on this big deal, is he taking up too much room that you can't fit all those younger players in? Yeah, that, that becomes the concern. So like moving forward, uh, you really, you can't, you can't sign any dumb contracts, right? I wouldn't say this Kevin Fiala is, a, is, you know, a dumb contract. It just tightens your situation to the point where anything stupid, you'll end up in a kind of like, I don't know, like in, maybe an Islanders or a Vancouver situation last year um, where, you know, you have to make some really hard decisions because you're so stuck up against the cap. Um, Kevin Fiala's contract will put you there. I think it is a bit rich. Um, you know, it, it doesn't take him till he's too old. But even then, uh, 7.8 uh, 
I would I would have preferred somewhere near seven million uh, if you're giving him all eight years. But uh, you know that's neither here nor there at this point. Uh, and yeah, it just you can't make any more mistakes uh, because if not, yeah, you'll put yourself in a bad situation. Um, you're looking at their cap situation right now. I mean, yeah, you know, hopefully, you know, you got th- that young core. Uh, well, I've taken that step forward and you can kind of pay out their contracts with like the $10 million, for example, that Enzo Kopitar is making up. And obviously he's not getting more than that once his contract expires in 2024. Uh, and you know, like a Victor Arvidsson, that's like 4.25 million. You could free up, uh, you know, and, and so you just, you just can't, you know, use that money very freely moving forward. And I'm just looking at their defense and like, yikes, Drew Doughty, $11 million. That might, that yeah, one might be the one the that hurts. One. Yeah. Yeah, that's the one that hurts for sure. Um, oh, I was just going to say something else about this, and now I've forgotten what it was. Uh, whatever. Something on Fiala. Oh, now it's b- really bugging me. Do you have any more thoughts on this? See if this comes back to me. Uh, n- no, not particularly, uh, but I can. Yeah, because this is painful. <laughs> I'm out of content. Oh, I remember it. Yeah, I remember yeah. it. Okay, it was that when a team acquires like an RFA slash pending RFA or even like the rights to a pending UFA, uh, you can pretty much resign yourself to the fact that they're going to be at least a slight overpay and at most a massive overpay because, you know, a team that just gave up assets to acquire a player who they specifically targeted and very clearly want, you know, what leverage do they have? Uh, Not only that, but they probably like the player a little bit more than average if they're willing to, you know, pinpoint them and go get them. So when you look at it from that standpoint of like the Kings were probably going to overpay Fiala from the get-go, it's it's not too crazy, especially when you compare it to, I don't know, someone like Kevin Hayes comes to mind who the Flyers gave up a pick for the rights for and then gave over $7 million to. Yeah, I, I don't think, you know, I think you're right on one of the two points there. I think... Uh, you know, leverage in, in in the sense that oh, you know, the agent knows that the team wants the guy because he's inquiring about a trade. But you got to assume that like this contract stuff gets worked out before the trade, right? And that's why it comes together so quickly. You know, the trade, you know, the trade comes out, and then just a couple hours later, uh, the, the contract details are also announced. And so you know, contracts don't come together. Negotiations, no matter how you know nice the relationship is, don't come together in two hours. So you got to assume if the you know the team that's trading him away. You know, they'll they'll let him talk just to because if not, the mm-hmm. teams won't make the trade, right? Um, if you know they know they're going to be put in a cap, like a precarious cap situation. So I think you know I think that there is some leverage. I think the deal got done before the, the trade was made, uh, and that the deal was contingent on this on this deal. But you know, fr- from from the, the the perspective of we know that you want him kind of deal, yes. Uh, but I, I don't think they've got him in that much of a bind. So I don't know if I excuse the overpayment you know, in these kind of scenarios. I'm not saying that I excuse it or that it's necessarily smart all the time, but we can, we can always see it coming is I guess more so the point. Yeah. I think general managers are just willing to overpay these kind of people at the end of the day. Right. It's just like, you know, they, they like them these too much. These kind of people, you mean hockey players? No, I mean like people that they acquire via trade. Uh, there, oh, there's, a- I, like, I thought you were going to laugh at my joke. <laughs> <laughs> I thought you were legitimately confused as to who I was referring to. Um, no, no. <laughs> Whoop. Anyways, uh, yeah. So that, that's uh, unless you got anything else to say about this trade, we can move to the other one. Um, 
Uh, what do you mean the other one? There were two more because don't forget Nashville traded Mathieu Olivier, a fringe player to Columbus for a, the 122nd overall pick. My bad. How could I forget? Major news. Um, no, I was uh, instead. I had actually forgotten about that one, uh, and I was instead referring How? to the. How is that possible? <laughs> Slip my mind. I'm. Uh, just... <laughs> I'm too busy. Too much other stuff going on. I was uh, too obsessed with the Ryan McDonough trade. Um, wow. Uh, yeah, I was just reading up on Grant Mismatch. So m- m- when uh, the thing came up on the time. I loved him in his draft year. Yeah. <laughs> what a name. Uh, so yeah, Ryan McDonough, noted cap dump at this point, uh, gets sent to Nashville. Him and his you know $6.8 million contract for the next four years uh, in exchange for uh, you know a couple of scrubs, basically. You got Grant Mismatch. And Philippe Myers, uh, so you know it's for it's it's a situation where it's kind of a win-win for both teams. Tampa, you know, maybe they. Yeah, I thought you know I I knew there it, it really sounded like in the days leading up to this that McDonough was going to get traded and this is how they were going to free up the cap room to sign Nick Paul and whatnot. Uh, but I thought that they would be able to get some actual assets, you know, some tangible assets, and I wouldn't I wouldn't argue that Philippe Myers and Grant Mismatch are, are really any tangible assets here. Uh, but, but anyways, um, they basically only get the cap relief. Apparently you get cap relief. They were, they could get cap relief, like cap credit if they bought out Philippe Myers. Um, but they've decided yes. not to do that. Very confusing. Apparently they, they, you know, they, they've just kind of come, come to a consensus. They're going to keep him on the roster for the next little bit. Um, which, okay. Strange call Tampa, but we'll see. They, they can still buy him out. Uh, and as for Nashville, they get, you know, a guy who's still, a solid second pair defenseman, basically for free. Uh, except the risk is you have his potentially deadweight contract for the next four years. This is a fascinating deal, and I love it so much. First of all, um, McDonough waived his no trade for this, which is surprising, I think, because honestly, that's the one downside of being Tampa Bay where you know you're so good and you've won two Stanley Cups lately and you also give out no trades and no moves to everyone is that why would they want to leave uh i think they like broached the subject with Stamkos last summer and he was like no i'm not going anywhere don't even talk about it <laughs> which in hindsight good <laughs> very hindsight, funny Stamper kind of lucked out yeah yep um McDonough though i really you know the more i thought about it i feel like front offices whether it ever will become public or not, have to use some kinds of like, you know, under, well, I don't know what the right word is here. Not very kind tactics to get players to waive these clauses. Maybe, you know, I could definitely foresee some like athletic hit piece coming out about how some GM like called a player every single day. Like, have you changed your mind? Come on, change your mind. We want to trade you. We don't want you anymore. And then eventually they just, they just give in. Because this type of thing of a player being like, fine, I'll go to Nashville or whatever team seems to happen like often enough where some, that that type of nefarious behavior might be happening. Number two, uh, you, I, I think I disagree that it was like a win for both teams. I don't see this as a win for Nashville, really, because sure, you know, Myers and Mismash weren't very valuable assets. And to some team, McDonough, even though he's making... Uh, six and three quarters million could be of value. But Nashville is not one of those teams because they're a bubble team and McDonough doesn't make them anything more than a bubble team. 
And I'm just sitting here going, rebuild, please rebuild. But David Poyle, of course, uh, isn't going to. So we talked when they signed Ekholm last summer, I think, to an incredibly long 6.2, well, not incredible, four more years, 6.25. McDonough, similar thing, only a little bit older, only a little bit more against the cap. It's like, why are you loading up your team with this type of player at this type of age, at this type of cap hit, when you're like the seventh best team in the West? Yes. You know what? You've converted me. I am uh, now on the side of, yeah, Nashville doesn't make sense. Because, yeah, you're right. I, I, I lost the big picture kind of deal. In a vacuum, it's fine as a trade because you're just taking risk. You get a defenseman who's capable in the present. Uh, but, yeah, in the uh, roster construction sense for Nashville, it doesn't make sense. Because, yeah, this team is, and like, you know, it's it's Ryan McDonough. He doesn't move the needle much, except he's a, you know, a cap weight. Maybe not a dead weight quite yet. But if you are rebuilding, uh, theoretically, you'd want to weaponize that cap space moving forward uh, to, to get more assets. Uh, and you didn't really get much aside from the contract uh, and the player. So really the best thing you could you could foresee is you trade him again. But then again, you'd have to, have him wait of his no move, and that's we don't know. <laughs> you, you don't know if that's happening. Uh, so yeah, it is confusing. Now that now that you, thank you, you have cleared up the picture for me. Uh, kind of zoomed out, and uh, we see that doesn't really make sense for Nashville, does it? Because well, you know, it does make sense. They want to compete. They think they're a playoff team, but you know, if you're not delusional, you could see they they should probably rebuild ASAP. Especially strange because we don't know if they're even going to be able to hold on to Philip Forsberg. And uh, maybe there's not a direct correlation, but I, I get, it is kind of relevant in that like Philip Forsberg, Roman Yossi and UC Saros all had like the best seasons of their career last year. And it was good enough for eighth in the West and getting killed by Colorado in round one. So I see, even if they hold on to Philip Forsberg, those players may regress to a certain degree and Nashville misses the playoffs. Yeah, Absolutely. Um, yeah, it does it kind of does feel like they hit their ceiling, right? They were they were a big surprise. Well, not maybe not big surprise. Everybody kind of expected to be in the bubble, bubble, but like you know they overperformed because of those three players, really. Uh, and you know like Matt Duchesne having a comeback kind of out of nowhere, mm-hmm. and it's like can you expect that for 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 the years you know the upcoming years? I don't think so. Um, will it get much better? And like is the roster getting you know much better? Not really. So. Yeah, you got to wonder what the long-term plan is there. And, well, it is David Poole. I don't know if there's much of a long-term plan at this point <laughs> at his age. Yeah. I want to talk about Tampa's, the Tampa side of things, too, because it's possibly more fascinating than the Nashville side. Um, I was looking, I think, about a week ago or so at an athletic, like, who might be bought out type thing. And Philippe Myers' name was on there for the reason you mentioned, because of his age he's i think 25 and if a 25 or 20 whatever if you're not at your ufa years i think yet and you get bought out you your team only has like one third of the penalty for it and somehow that winds up in if philip myers were to be bought out there is as you said a cap credit so not only does his 2.55 million dollar cap it come off the books that you actually you know get extra cap space that type of thing in the first year. And then the second year, there is like a very slight cap penalty. And Tampa, after making this acquisition, everyone went, oh, okay, this is that special case where they're going to get some cap credit to buy him out, but they're not going to. And 
Breezeby, I think, was the one who said, yeah, we like his tools. We can work with him. We think he can be a good player. And on one hand, I, I agree. I do. Like, I am a Philly Myers believer. He was trending upwards with the Flyers. He was playing next to Sanheim. Things were going well. He goes to Nashville. Things fall apart. He's healthy scratch most of the year. I think there's still a decent player there that can be recovered and could be worth the cap hit. And especially for a team like Tampa Bay, who has whose right defense is a weakness in the lineup. Eric Chernak is the only one who really, you know, is like, oh, that's a good player. And if you think Myers can become the second one, then maybe it makes sense from that perspective. The other thing is, if you buy him out, then all of a sudden you have that cap space plus a little bit more to maybe go out and look for more of a sure thing on right defense in a free agency or in the trade market than this guy who you just think, oh, maybe we can work with him and get him back to his previous level. I feel like there are like, you know, cheaper alternatives or cheaper equivalents to Philippe Myers. Because exactly. like, that, that's the thing, right? Like he's, what, two and a half million dollars plus whatever credit you have. And you consider the fact that Tampa has like zero cap space at this point, right? Um, I think if you look on their cap friendly, what do they got? Like negative a million dollars. Um, so they have some serious maneuvering to do on top of re-signing whoever they want to resign, right? Uh, whether it's like Palat or anybody else. Um, so yeah, so, some maneuvering to do. And so you got to make sacrifices. And I feel like, Philippe Myers is a reasonable sacrifice to make so you can plug somebody who's, you know, getting paid $850,000 or some shit like that. Uh, so, yeah, if we're talking about Tampa, unless you want to mention anything about the trade, we can talk about the signing that they made. Uh, they signed Nick Paul, noted uh, participant on that team this year. Uh, he was an RFA, and they signed him to seven fucking years, apparently, at $3.15 million. And... Uh, I got to say, I'm not a fan of this contract. Uh, what is he? 27? So he'll be you're paying Nick Paul $3 million till he's 34. Like, man, he's a nice piece. Like, this guy's like a, what, third line player? Third line player, $3 million? It's Nick Paul. He's fine. Stop paying these people this much money for this much term. Makes no sense. Uh, even for Tampa Bay, I uh, don't understand. I disagree. I think this is this is some smart maneuvering for the Lightning on Nick Paul. But actually, first, on the cap hit, the Cap Friendly Made page does say they're like about 900000 over the cap. I think that includes Seabrook's deal, which is maybe like technically not on LTIR on the offseason. Because when you go into armchair GM and you have Seabrook on LTIR and you have their 12 forwards and six defensemen, two goalies, the cap hit is around $76.5 So after the McDonough trade, they do have a little wiggle room um, of maybe, I don't know, trying to bring back Palat, even though that probably can't be done, um, but making a couple small additions here and there. Nick Paul, I think this one makes total sense because of where the Tampa's window is, which is like within the next two three seasons. I don't know. They probably will want to extend it longer than that. But we know that the window is right now for Tampa Bay. And so, if you have a chance to lower the AAV, even if you have this third liner signed till he's 34 years old, do it. If you're the Lightning, or if you're a very select few amount of teams for whom that makes sense. Because what would you prefer that they pay Nick Paul like three and a half for four years? I don't think that makes much more sense when, you know, you're lowering your chance of being able to add a contributor to your lineup. 
I just see no, I wouldn't. I obviously wouldn't prefer them at three and a half million. I'm just so confused. Why do we all agree Nick Paul's at this price point? Feels like he should get paid less. That's what I'm saying. Like I understand the whole strategy. Like I'm not complaining about the term in so far as you know. Oh, it's so long. You know, but it's more like it's so much money for so long. Like I feel like three point one five. I would be uncomfortable paying Nick Paul three point one five for one year. You know, like let alone say this feels like an overpayment for a third line player. No matter the length like of the contract. Underrating Nick am, Paul. I, am I underrating Nick Paul? That's possible. I think you're. Absolutely, I don't love it. I think you're absolutely underrating Nick Paul. Uh, he is a good third liner, and not only that, we thought he could only play the wing. He was a good third line center for Tampa Bay, and actually, his production when he came to Tampa and was moved to center was better than it had ever been in his career with Ottawa. He had okay, look at 14 points in 20 on regular season games, significantly higher uh, clip than he had ever performed over a season in Ottawa. Produced well in the playoffs too. Produced well in the in the big moments, which I guess you know does boost up your value a little bit when you're when you're clutch. To, for better or for worse but the fit in tampa uh as a third line whether center or the wing was a match made in heaven for him so i think this number is totally reasonable man i thought like if they were gonna give him seven years they're gonna give him two million dollars that's where i thought the head my head was at for nick paul that would have been a, an insane bargain three million dollars okay yeah i guess that's the market but good. i guess that's it i guess i was just too low on nick paul um sure but yeah that was my initial take that even it wasn't it wasn't like oh it's too long you know like sure lower the value by making it longer makes sense for Tampa you're absolutely right still feels like a lot you know that's what I'm saying no I don't think so I think it's reasonable okay well only the future no speaking of former Ottawa Senators who were signed to new contracts until they're older Craig Anderson (laughs) also got a new deal with Buffalo this week I was going to say in their 30s, but Craig Anderson just turned 41. So, <laughs> uh, Man, this, I've been, you know, not a believer in Buffalo at all, but I've been, someone, I've talked about the path forward for them. I, even without Eichel now, I see, you know, the makeup of their defense. They have some nice pieces at forward. I go, there's a way for them to get better, especially with Boston probably falling off next year. If they really play, have a great off season, maybe they can like find their sneak their way into fourth in the division. Not off to an inspiring start with this Craig Anderson contract. Not the contract itself is bad. It's just a million and a half, which honestly is even a little bit rich for a goalie who was like sub nine hundred last year and is forty one years old. It's the player itself because you sign Craig Anderson because you want him to your backup goalie. And if we haven't even hit free agency yet and you're committing to Craig Anderson as your backup goalie, that just screams that you're totally unserious about making the playoffs. You know, go, eh, we'll bring back this guy who we're familiar with rather than look at one of many better alternatives on the open market. This is truly organizationally mailing it in, is re-signing Craig Anderson uh, for another year. This is, this is, I don't... Before you even talk to other goalies on the open market. So dumb, so dumb. Um, this feels like they had an off off season task list, and they're just kind of going through the motions. They needed a bat. Maybe they'll make him their starter again. Who knows? Who knows? Oh no! <laughs> um, there's like nobody there on the roster. You know, you never know. Uh, but yeah, I mean, it just you you come on, really? That's so lazy. That's so lazy. He's not good, and he, like he's just. 
He's just a good story at this point. You're paying a million and a half for a good story. That's terrible. Uh, and there's... I got a good story at Indigo for like 20 bucks. <laughs> exactly. There's a discount for you. Uh, you don't have to pay the full million and a half like Buffalo did. Uh, yeah. It just doesn't make sense. He's the, it's just, it's just the, he's not an NHL caliber player anymore. He's not even close. The results speak for themselves. And all I need to say is Craig Anderson, 41 years old, and you can just nod on and, and go on with your day because you understand. So, yeah, just come on so lazy that's that's the word that comes up which is not a good look for the savers absolutely all right next thing is coaches more coaching movement i feel like we've had just about enough of this because we're getting to the point where the names are all a little boring they are um terribly but, terribly so anyway yeah boston man that's just gotta feel talk about mailing it in bruins okay Patrice Bergeron's future is up in the air. Over the past couple of years, you know, they lost Krug, they lost Chara, both in like very unceremonious fashion. Marchand and McAvoy and Grizzlick and I think others are, you know, out for extended periods of time. Tuka Rask retired like in the middle of last season, even though their goaltending situation is pretty stable right now. Things in general are trending down. David Krejci left last summer too. A lot of players leaving, players getting injured in Boston, and they fire Bruce Cassidy in an unpopular move and bring in Jim Montgomery, whose list of accomplishments include coaching a Stanley Cup final team for only the first half of the season. Um, what else? Did he, did he coach anywhere before Dallas, before the middling Dallas Stars? Don't think so. I think I looked it up the other day. I think it's... The extent of his experience is like a season and a half in Dallas. That's it. A wholly uninspiring tenure. I remember that season also. Um, people were talking about when Dallas made the finals, which to be fair was, you know, after like a you know, the four-month pause or whatever. The, Dallas started that season terribly. I think with like a seven-game losing streak. And they were an extremely streaky team. And for the first part of the year... Those streaks were more bad than good until Montgomery left and was replaced by Rick Bonus, and things kind of took a turn for the better. Right. So he ended that year. I just looked it up. 11, 17 and 11 uh, before he got fired, uh, which is, you know, he turned it up. But it was a, you know, it was an okay Dallas. It wasn't a bad Dallas roster. But like, it's just, that's the thing. You know, he wasn't bad. He's just wholly uninspired. Like his first year, he took, took him to the second round. Won a whole ass playoff round with Dallas in 2019, yeah. um, and that's great. I'm sure he's fine, but y- y- look look at the trade off you just made at at head coach. You know, you you get rid of Bruce Cassidy, who has established himself uh, as you know one of the better coaches in this league, and you trade him off for someone who's maybe 20 21st. You know, that's probably generous. In the head coach rankings, I don't have one of these rankings, but if I did, that's probably where I'd put Jim Montgomery. Uh, so, you know, just, just, just a straight up downgrade. There's, there's not much analysis that you need. Um, there's not much more analysis that you need. You just look at the caliber of coach, and it's just like, man, that is mailing it in. That's a good way to put it. It just wholly feels pretty mediocre. We'll see. Maybe he'll be great. I doubt it. And you had a great coach, and his name was Bruce Cassidy. All right, next, 
Well, I guess we can transition to Rick Bonus yeah, first, actually. we can. Since we just talked about How him. brilliant. Uh, that is the selection <laughs> for the Jets. Fuck. And I think... Um, it's Okay. You know, you make fun. Whatever. I do I make don't fun. Think it's, I don't think it's terrible. It's fine. I could... Terribly... I could see this... Terribly Jets. Go ahead. I think the downfall of the Jets this year was that Connor Hellebuck was just okay. And he needs to be a Vezina goalie for them to make it into the playoffs. Uh, which, you know, in that way, that I don't think a head coach has much control over that. But where I really think the bonus su- selection is interesting is Dallas, of course, was, you know, a scrappy, defensive, slow the game, bore the game down team. And they almost beat the Flames that way. So, you know, bonus got the most out of what he had. Winnipeg kind of has to be the opposite because their defense is still not very good. And their forward, they still have good offensive talent, even if they haven't been able to get the most out of, like, Shifley, Ehlers, Pierre-Luc Dubois lately. So I'm mostly interested to see, I guess, if Bonus can adjust to the new roster and get the most out of the players in a different way, or if he really is just a, here I am and I'm Rick Bonus and we play defensive hockey. And if that's the case, Winnipeg is utterly doomed. (laughs) I think that's the worst case scenario. I think it has a real chance of happening because this, you know, Rick Bonus doesn't seem like a flexible type of coach. Uh, look, he's been in the league. How long has he been fucking? Has, how long has he been coaching? Like two and a half decades or some shit like that. <laughs> insane, insane that he's back again. I thought he was done. I thought he was done for good once he left Dallas. And I was, you know, his fucking name came out of the dead. Came back zombie style. Uh, and yeah, it's just, you know, it's like. What do the Jets want to be? You know, what you want to be a playoff contender? You know, you've got the goalie for it, but you can't get the roster right. And you know, you strike out on on coaching extraordinaire Barry Trotz, and so it seems like you're kind of scrambling for a backup option, and you land on Rick fucking Bonus. It just feels extremely middling and mediocre, and I will not be picking them. Uh, to go anywhere far. I don't know. I don't know if I'll put them in the playoffs. If I do, it'll be in a wild card spot. But I have next to no faith in these Winnipeg Jets. And I'll be shocked if they're any sort of good next year. What do you think are the odds Rick Bonus is able to turn Mark Shifley and Blake Wheeler into defensively competent players? <laughs> next to zero. Well, you know, it's like, what is it? Do you think they butt heads over it? Do you think we get like a. A Shifley yells at bonus on the bench moment in like mid November. I don't know if it's that explicit. It just sure does feel like, you know, like they're playing shit through the media kind of vibe. Um, where both parties are unhappy because, you know, they're we you know, locker room cancers, those two. And it's just yeah, they seem like very stubborn people that don't want to play defense. So yeah, I you know, bonus is gonna have to adjust because otherwise, you're right. It's it's absolutely not going to work whatsoever. Not even the defense. You're probably not going to get buy from the forwards either, to be totally honest. So, yeah. <laughs> not great. Not great. Next one is uh, Detroit uh, hires Derek Lalonde, who has been an assistant coach with the Lightning from July 2018 up until June 29th, 2022, when he left for the Red Wings. So, of course, in that span, he experienced all the Lightning experience from the failure loss to Columbus 
to two Stanley Cup victories to a loss in the Stanley Cup final. And he takes all that, no, I know what it takes to win experience to the Red Wings, who have been flailing around aimlessly under Jeff Blagel for about seven years. Yeah, I, I, I this really sounds like, uh, well, it's an, it's a typical Eiserman hire. Like, you know, they shared time in Tampa together. And it's clear that he was very fond of him. And they were waiting, waiting, waiting to announce that, you know, to announce their head coach. And I think they were just waiting for Tampa to get eliminated, right? Um, and then they just kind of handed in the, the position. Sound like I sounds like Eisman was set on this guy from the beginning, doesn't it? Because uh, otherwise they probably would have gone somewhere else if he wasn't available because he was coaching with Tampa or whatnot, or they would have announced it earlier. Uh, but yeah, sounds like a very Eisman hire, you know, has no previous NHL head coaching experience. Um, but has been with Tampa for the last little while. And as I said, they shared like two years in Tampa together. And so first-hand experience with him, with Eiserman. So there's your connection. There's a reason why he has the job. I'm I'm curious to see how this one goes because I've been a little bit more hesitant to buy in on the Red Wings and their whole rebuild than many others. You know, plan, whatever. I look at the actual pieces they have. In, on their team and their prospect pools. And I don't really see the makings of like a future Stanley cup contender, but I don't know if Jeff Blaschel really just was that bad. And maybe Derek Lalonde can unlock some kind of new gear in the personnel. Yeah. I, I don't think the personnel is there yet. Um, it has been going pretty slow and yeah, you'd like some, res- you would like to see some results. Like I get the Iserman name and everything. I, I too do not entirely get the, the whole hype. Like, trust the process or whatever. But, you know, it seems the process has taken a hot minute. So, you know. <laughs> it's because they didn't win enough draft lotteries. <laughs> yeah, and then they had, the, they had the whole system change to, what, disadvantage themselves? Because they're not... Yeah, pretty much. Yeah, they're not getting... You know, we mentioned before. First, if you're the worst team, you have, like, a one in four chance of getting the first overall pick now. Uh, well... One in five one in, or so. No, it's like one in four now because, well, if, if any of the 12, 13, 14, 15 teams... Oh, all right, right, win, yeah, yeah. Uh, then you get the first automatically, so... And the Red Wings, they finish in the last anytime soon, let me tell you that. So, unless Derek Wall and some unknown... They might. ...incredibly scrubbed yeah, honestly, I could see it. Yeah. I could absolutely not see it. Not that I said it out loud, you know, like, the roster's just not there. Who's their goalie next year? I guess it's in the goat in the Dalkovich. Yeah. He's not very good. Or at least he didn't show us he was very good last year. So, there we go. Yeah. It's 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 strange. We we it, there's no there's not as much upward movement as we would like to see in Detroit because it's been what three years now. Three years since what? Since Eiserman showed up and and did the whole rebuild. Uh sounds about well, right. Yeah, I guess it. I've I've in my head the rebuild started the first time they missed the playoffs in 2017. Okay. So that would put us at like five years, but I guess that's not a hundred percent accurate. Right. I see it as an idea. They call it the Iser plan or whatever, right? So, you know, better start, better, you know, better see some results somewhat soon. You would hope within five years, yep. you wouldn't, you wouldn't still have a basement team. And maybe it's a bit of a red flag. You would hope. I just, I don't know. I, I don't see where the next big juice on the Red Wings is coming from. Because, you know, their top guns, it's like Moritz Sider, Lucas Raymond, Dylan Larkin. Here they are. They're on the Oof. team. The goalie we acquired who we thought was going to be our starter, Nandelchkovic. It was like, all right, we're all here. Sure, we have, you know, Edvinson in the pipeline, Theodore Niederbach. But, you know, and especially guys like Joe Valeno, Michael Rasmussen, who are kind of just like toiling around near the bottom of the lineup. It's like, all right, when are we going to get going? You know, I feel like it, should, it feels like it should be happening now if it's ever going to happen. 
Right. Yeah, you were, we're waiting for that that boost, that jolt of energy. Like, oh, the Detroit Red Wings have arrived. Um, but yeah, the, the, the gang's like all together. Be, it, it is early, but you know, what, it does seem like they need a little bit more surge on that roster. Um, yeah, it doesn't doesn't feel like a, a contender core just yet, does it? Yeah, especially because like everyone pretty much agrees that like Cider and Raymond had awesome rookie years, mm-hmm. and yet they were nowhere close to the playoffs. Right, it was wholly uninspiring as a team, team wide, um, for sure. Yeah, it just you know they they have nice pieces. That's the thing. It's like a smattering of nice pieces, um, but no like you know no obviously there's no like super superstar, but just it doesn't feel like the core has gelled enough to create uh you know kind of like a a a sum that's greater than its parts kind of thing. Exactly. All right. Well, this has been our impromptu. We don't believe in the Red Wings session, I guess. Yep. Um, there's one more thing I want to talk about before we do the mock. And it's the happenings in Pittsburgh surrounding Evgeny Malkin and Chris Letang. Wait a second. Because I feel like... The- I don't think we've mentioned Bob. Bobby Bugner. Ah, uh, yes. Bob Bugner fired from the Sharks. Like what? Two mo- over two months after the season ended, God they damn. really s- sat and thought about it for a long time, <laughs> and when you know what? I think the sole problem this year was Bob Bugner isn't good enough. Man, they did this fucker so dirty by like really? waiting for after two all months. It's closed up. <laughs> all the all the spots, not just head coaching, but like assistants. Everybody's all hired up, and now they fucking put this guy out on the street. That's dirty. I cannot respect the Sharks for this shit. Uh, yeah, not no, very nice. But the they don't even have a GM now. Who who even made that call? Was it the owner? I don't know. Who the hell knows? Probably the interim guy. He probably have an interim guy, you know, doing housekeeping. And now we know why he's the interim guy. He's doing shit like firing people in the middle of July. <laughs> so it's like, God, man, there's there's just yeah, it's just confusing because I want to know what triggered this shit. Right? It's like July fourth. Nothing has happened about the Sharks the last two months. Like almost three months, or I don't know when the season ended. Like two months, yeah, two months. And yeah, what? Like, did they have a bad phone call or something? Like Bob Bugner cursed him out on, like cursed the interim guy out. Like, what? What was the tipping point? What happened on July like first that made him you know so urgent that you needed to fire him now, and not like two months ago? It's just what the hell is going on in San Jose? I get it's in flux. You don't have a general manager, but like, man, that is some dysfunction. Okay, I'm looking at the Sharks cap friendly page. General manager is listed as Joe Will, which cool. is a name I like kind of remember yeah. talking about. Sounds sounds familiar. It's not listed as it's not listed as interim though. So maybe it'd be weird if he was interim and fired the head coach. I feel like that's the type of thing if you're interim and especially if you know like someone's going to replace you like by the end of the off season, you don't just fire the coach. You it feels like there would be a much stronger reign on like what you could do. So that's why Either wait, I, let me confirm. See if if Joe Will is the interim coach. I'm sorry, interim GM or not, because that really would change how I think about this decision. Well, yeah, they're announcing the general manager tomorrow. The new general manager. Oh yes, I saw that. So yeah. so the interim GM said, "I'm going to fire the coach." Which also actually that makes me think this decision came from ownership. I don't think someone who knows he's getting replaced in like four days is making this call just for the heck of it. I really don't think so. You're right. It, it would be very funny though. But also, yeah, absolutely. The the boy still stands. What did he do in like the 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 beginning? Like, what did he do in July that warranted this firing? 
even if it was a ownership, man, were they like fucking on a business trip the last two months? And they came back and they're like, oh shit, I guess we need to replace the coach. <laughs> what, what is this shit? You know who I feel most bad for is is Logan Couture. And let me, do you remember how much he loves Bob Bugner? No, I don't. I it's, It rings a, like a deep bell in my brain. Yeah, I, I, he got fired from Florida, Bob Bugner, at, whenever he was coaching them. And Logan Couture was like, oh yeah, sure, he was the problem there. Boogsy is a great coach or whatever. Because I think he'd been assistant with the Sharks and then went to be a head coach in Florida or something. And then I guess Lone Couture, maybe as captain, was like, oh, make Bob Bugner a head coach. And they were like, okay. That's my extremely, you know, simple explanation for what may have gotten. <laughs> maybe that's why they fired Bob Bugner. Maybe they were like, you know what? We can't let Logan Couture call all the shots. All right. We're getting rid of his favorite guy and we're going to bring in one of our own. And when you say one of our own, you, you do you hear the thing where they're like, they they prioritize like it must be like an ex shark. Oh, I didn't even think of that. More brain dead shit from this organization, which like, man, like what's the sharks culture that who so said precious? it must be an ex shark? Uh, it was like a rumor that was going around. Like I, I forget who reported it, but it was like they the, one of the priorities for the sharks, like the general manager hunt, was that it had to be like an ex shark, whether it's like you know management or like player. Um, they were really hard into oh, that, wow. which makes no sense. Like, that's the thing. Like, what's the Sharks culture? What's so deeply fucking ingrained in that organi- messy organization that you need to you need to hire somebody that used to that was part of it? He's got the experience. Right, that's a weird ass nepotistic attitude. And uh, maybe not nepotism exactly, but, you know, still weird buddy buddy anyways. Uh, and uh, yeah, well, you know what? It seems it's pretty character. It seems pretty on brand for like a July firing. To, to have that kind of search requirement, doesn't it? Is are they gonna bring in Patrick Marlowe to coach the team? <laughs> Dan Boyle, Logan Couture. <laughs> Why not? Player coach. Yeah, player coach. The Joe Thornton retires, and the next day announced he's been hired by the Sharks to be the head coach. That sounds great. Um, I don't know if that criteria applies to the coach, though. Just just to the general manager. Uh, that's what they're big into. Oh, apparently. yeah. I thought we were talking about the coach. No, I was my my mistake. Um, if that was confusing. Uh, never mind then. But yeah, I'm talking about general manager, which is weird. Okay. It's weird, isn't it? Either it's way, a, though, it's a management position anyway. You know, it's like makes even less sense. It's a management position, not a like a coaching position. You're not even in contact with maybe, these players. Maybe they saw uh, Joe Sackick was a former Avalanche oh, on the Stanley God. Cup. So, Please, you know, no. we got to do the exact same thing. And Rob Blake is doing so well with the Kings. So, you know, we have to just do that. This would be the worst form of copycatting. You're taking away the dumbest shit. Be, uh, <laughs> yeah, look at uh, what made Colorado successful. Hmm, probably that their GM used to play for them 20 years ago. <laughs> That's what we have to do. Perfect. Um, all right, Joe Pavelski is about to become the general manager. Watch it. Oh, of course. Yeah. <laughs> all right. So, yeah, we, you wanted to mention something about Pittsburgh. What was it? Evgeny Malkin. Yes. I wanted to I wanted to mention the fact that Malkin and Latang are probably both leaving. <laughs> and this story is probably gonna ramp up very intensely, like right after the draft. Because I feel like we talked about this a little bit a month ago that they were getting lowballed. They each got like three by five mil offers, which to my in my personal opinion is reasonable for Latang and a serious low ball for Malkin. But Pittsburgh's concern is Malkin's injured all the time these days so so yeah you know maybe we don't want to you know commit so much money to him when we're still trying to 
go on runs. And I think that's why Pittsburgh is kind of doomed no matter what they do here. You lose these two franchise players for nothing. That Not only is that a terrible look, but your team has become way worse and very well may miss the playoffs. Or you hold on to them. And now all of a sudden you're stuck, you know, hanging on to a thin glimmer of hope of making a deep run, even though you haven't won a playoff round in years and your core is all 35. Yeah, true lose-lose. I got to say, though, um, if you're scared of, like, an old, aging, injured player and you're going to, like, the contract's going to become bad because they're, you know, they're going to get injured and the whole thing, I've come around to the fact that, you know what, there's LTI, there's always LTIR. You could just fucking put the guy there as soon as he's like, you know, bad enough to the I don't point where th- you can do that, you know? I, I don't think that's the concern. I think the concern is we want someone who's going to be on the ice. Fair. Fair. But, yeah, you know what? You bring up a good point. However, I don't know. It's just like it's, if you wanted, <laughs> you could create that cap flexibility and just like sign a player when you need one. You know what I mean? Like, you know, you, you, you call it the current option of Genny Malkin. And if he gets injured... All right, next year you put him on LTIR and you sign somebody else with that $9 million or whatever you're going to pay him. Um, okay, maybe not nine. But uh, but yeah, anyways, that was that, that was my rapid thought. Uh, and yes, you're absolutely right. This is a lose-lose for Pittsburgh uh, unless, you know, you can, you can find, you know, quality replacements for them. Uh, but uh, even so, it is, this window is closing, if not already completely shut for this team. That's uh, aging rapidly, and their core is aging out with not not meant no replacements, like no replacements in that cupboard. Yeah, it's it's weird that Pittsburgh seems to be prioritizing Latang rather than Malkin, and I think it's for the reason that Latang's actually been able to stay healthier than Malkin lately, um, because I, it feels like you know if they really did want to win now, Malkin is the loss that hurts way more because you lose. Latang, I think you probably have some faith that like John Marino can kind of you know step up, take those minutes. Marcus Pedersen, Brian Dumoulin probably gets back on track somewhat. Maybe Pierre Olivier Joseph finally gets a full time role. I think there are like you can still manage to, you know, field a competent defense without Chris Latang. You want to Stanley Cup without Chris Latang in the entire playoff in 2017. You lose Malkin though. It's like, all right, our second line center is Jeff Carter now. You know, if Mal- Malkin, even at his age, brings a very game-breaking quality. And I think my honest prediction is that they both leave because it's very rare you'd be like, be like, wow, both players were insulted by the offers they got. And I think the only way they stick around is if Sidney Crosby goes, please don't leave me here, and they're a good friend, so they say, okay. Yeah, that, that, that's really the, the last lifeline because it's not just a low ball. It's just like, you know, well, we're nine days out from when free agency opens, and... Apparently Malkin and the team aren't really talking regularly and Latang and the team are like two years apart in negotiations. Two years. That's pretty significant. So yeah, it, you know, maybe it's a, it's a last minute kind of deal and they find a, a resign. Sounds like it's more hopeful for Latang. Uh, but, but even so mm-hmm. seems to be quite dire and we're pretty close to what we don't have a tampering period anymore. Right. So, you know, no, we're even, even sadly. so we're still pretty close uh, to free agency opening. So you know they know the market's open. They can get paid other elsewhere, so no, re- no real reason to stay if they feel insulted like that. Yeah. All right. I think it's time for the main event, mock draft. What do you say? Let's do it. Okay. So we were talking about 
whether we wanted to have this mock draft be uh, predictions, we're trying to get inside the team's head, guess what they're going to do, or if we want to frame it more like, what would you do if you were in this position with this pick as this team? And I think we generally came to the choice that we'll just kind of wing it and vibes it out and probably lean more towards our own preferences, but probably not go too crazy into situations that are completely unrealistic. Yeah, that sounds that sounds like what we agreed to. So uh, let's get on it. We have to figure out who's going to draft first. Uh, yeah, did your mic just change? Did you like move away or something from the mic? Yeah, just maybe you lean got a little quieter. Okay, I'll bring it up. Okay, how's this? Nice. All right, that's good. good. That's perfect. Nice, beautiful. Uh, do you have a preference on odds or evens? No, I don't. Actually. All right. Uh, why don't we why don't we random.org this? Why, sure. Why don't you pull up random.org and put our names on a list, and whichever name goes for, gets first picks first. All right. Here we go. We are randomizing, and it's you. You go first. Congratulations. All right. Shoot. Okay. Montreal has got the first pick of the draft. And so Bob's list, as we know, had Slavkovsky number one. And everyone's going, oh, Bob's list has never, you know, the first player has gone one like every year since 2006. I will, I would like to say that this vote was like the closest in the history of Bob's list. It was a very slight edge that Slavkovsky had on Shane Wright. So I don't think too much stock should be put into that as it has in recent years. I 100% think Montreal will take Shane Wright. Uh, maybe maybe 70. I 75% think Montreal is going to take Shane Wright. I give like 20 to Slavkovsky and 5 to Cooley. I would take Shane Wright. So that's the mock pick I'm doing in the mock draft. Shane Wright first overall. Because every interview Kent Hughes has given or, you know, other members of the staff. I think he even spoke today, talks about the things he likes in a player. Things like, you know, well-rounded or smart, good sense, are all the same types of things that scouting reports use to describe Shane Wright. I think he's been the best player in the draft the whole time. I think he got a little closer near the end. I still think he's at the top. All right. Good stuff. I would agree. Um, I just don't see... I don't like Slavkovsky as number one. Um, you know, for the player that he is, I think he he brings certain qualities, but I don't know if he's got the upside necessarily or the skill um, or really like the kind of the, the the agility or, you know, the yeah, really the upside that you would want in the first overall pick. Uh, moving on, number two, I got New Jersey. Um, I'm going to pass on Slavkovsky and I am instead going to Ooh. go uh, Logan Cooley. Um yeah, I just think he's uh, more exciting. I think he's got more upside. Uh, he's got loads and loads of skill. You know, he's a, he's a great skater. Crazy hands. He's just It just feels like he's got a whole bunch of fucking, sk- like, you know, a whole bunch of, what's it, like, tools or talents um, where he's really just, like, you know, kind of like a plus-plus in those areas. And, yeah, I think you can really, like, if you can develop that properly, I you know, yeah, I could very easily see him, you know, being the, the best player straight up out of this class. Because I think there's there's like a lot of like raw talent to work with there. Agreed. Uh, Cooley, I think, is the second best player in the draft as well. I think dynamic 1C is very possibly in the future. I also think because of how, you know, the consensus or how the industry seems to be leaning. My guess is New Jersey goes Slavkovsky number two. But if things do shake out this way, I think 
the Coyotes will make a very easy Slavkovsky third overall pick. And if I were in Arizona's situation and this is how things shook out, or if I were a Coyotes fan, I guess, I'd be like slightly disappointed. Because I would absolutely have my heart set on Logan Cooley, not just because I think he has an edge on Slavkovsky, but because he's a center. And, you know, that even if all were equal, Ty would go to the center. But Slavkovsky, third overall, especially with how, you know, he's one on Bob's list, all that. Very hard to complain. I do think there is perhaps a slight overvalue being placed on his excellent performance in international tournaments, world championships, uh, the Olympics. He was great for Slovakia in both those tournaments. Um, and I guess there is absolutely something to be said for a player who who rises to to that big occasion. So there's absolutely no way he falls outside of the top three. Yeah, I, I think it's it's the buzz, right? Like, you know, I would, you know, I think exactly like if 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 he falls to number three, um, yeah, it just seems like there's too much love around the scouting community to kind of, uh, to let him go past three, right? Okay, uh, number four, um, I will be taking the first defenseman off the board. I'm gonna be taking Simon Nemich. Uh, he's uh, yeah, fun. I I like him more than you know the the big physical uh kind of defenseman that. Irichek kind of presents, and I feel like you know Nemec as a you know as a puck carrier uh, and, and more of an offensive mind. He shows more upside like that. And yeah, if you're drafting fourth overall, I think that's the kind of number one defenseman you should be looking for. So that's that. I also have uh, like Nemec ahead of Irichek, but the gap has gotten much smaller the more I've dug into things. I think you're you may be slightly underselling Irichek's offensive upside because it is absolutely there. I think there's a big gap at this point in the draft between Juracek and the next best player. But I also know that Cutter Gauthier was fifth on Bob's list. And I also know that Chuck Fletcher, GM of the Flyers, has been buzzing about how, oh, we need to get more dynamic forwards or whatever. So that's what makes this, at this point in the draft, if this is how things shake out, I'm really, you know, I'm sitting here thinking, if I wanted to make a prediction, I might actually guess that the Flyers would go with Gauthier. I think that would be a big mistake, though, um, because I just think David Juracek has top-pairing defensemen written all over him, and for all the team need you can talk about with the Flyers needing forwards, it's not like their defense is set up so gloriously either. You know, Provorov yeah. took a step back this year. Cam York and Ronnie Adder are, are rookies, basically. Ristolainen's there. That's a problem. So... At this point, you're not very well suited anywhere in the pipeline. So you go best player available. That's David Yurchek. That's the pick. All right. I I, I typed out Cutter Gauthier because I thought that's where you were going with this one. Oh, no. <laughs> the old one too. Um, yeah, I think this is this is probably where I cut off. You know, this is like the top tier, the first tier. You can cut off at three. Yeah, for um, sure. but you know, th- these, this top five seems to be pretty established. Um, and yeah, after this, it's really kind of where it gets maybe a bit foggy. Uh, and you could see a- any number of people. It's very tricky. Yeah. Uh, so who, what team do I have? I've got Columbus. All right. The Chicago's pick from the Seth Jones right. trade. Yes, indeed. Um, all right. I will be going with, hmm, I'll go with Matthew Savoie. Um. Ooh. Yeah, a, a solid. You know, he's 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 got the skill, he's got the hands, and he's a fast skater. I've really gotten into you know like, 
you need the, the, the skating ability because it is hard to teach that. Um, you know, you can work on it, obviously, and it can improve, uh, especially like technically. But, you know, if you've got the if you've got the speed here as, as, a, as a prospect, um, it can really take you places as an NHL player. Uh, and yeah, he's 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 got a whole bunch of tools. I think he's solid as a number six pick. Yeah, this is re- I feel like the hardest part of this year's draft to predict is like the 6 to 12 or so range because not only are there a lot of options, but there are there isn't like a lot to fall in love with either. I don't really have many players in that range who I'm like really willing to go to bat for, you know, mm-hmm. beyond like the top 5. Yeah, absolutely. Um so with that being said, with Ottawa at 7th overall, I really, really am very confident that if Cutter Gauthier were still available at this point, that Ottawa's taking him. Um, I wouldn't. I have him ranked number 11 on my own list. Um, but, I mean, the fact that I considered him for the Flyers and the fact that he's number 5 on Bob's list, he does have, you know, tools to like that teams, you know, absolutely love. He's big, he's physical, a forward, and he has, you know, uh, great offensive touch, great hands, a great shot, a lot of tools you can work with. Some people are skeptical of the hockey sense, the the playmaking sense, the vision, that type of thing, which you know can be a little more challenging to work on. But I think teams really like the fact that you know there's a high ceiling there with the tools. You could become like you know a, a first line power forward on the wing. Or if all else fails, at very least, he could become a nice third-line complementary piece. <laughs> if all else fails, uh, yeah, third-line, mm, you know, Ottawa with uh with Yeah, Ottawa would love that. <laughs> Ottawa loves their, if all else fails, they'll be a third-line complementary piece. <laughs> it's the Ottawa experience. All right. <laughs> um, hmm. Yeah, it, it really is kind of tough to project who's going to go, like, around this range. Um, it's the toughest range for sure. Yeah. I like I there's no one who I love um that I really want to commit to um but yeah hmm okay why not I'll I'll go see should I go like way off the board here it's it's Detroit why not uh I'll put Brad Lambert here you know we Whoa. talked about him last week we Whoa, talked and we wow-y. and we talked before we started recording that you would not take you wouldn't touch Brad Lambert with a 10 foot pole but i, I think exactly what i said okay fine that's that's fair maybe i'm exaggerating but uh yeah you said you were growing cold on brad lambert uh meanwhile in the last week i've kind of i've I've, uh, I've warmed up to the idea um now it does not sound like he's going to get picked this high at all but you know wasn't feeling really anybody else so i thought why not i think he's got the like the the raw the raw tools right he's got you know the skating uh and the skill um, if you look at, you know, the last, if you, if you ignore the last season, obviously that's a big ask, uh, but coming into it, uh, he, he's just got, you know, crazy skating ability. One of the best in this class. Uh, and yeah, he's got the, he got the skill. Obviously he took back, took a step back this year. Uh, and you know, he switched teams in the middle of the year. seems like that second team was a bad idea. Shouldn't have switched there. You know, it was a bad fit. His results kind of plummeted as soon as he moved to, uh, I forget what the team was. Was it the Pelicans? Um, and yeah, yeah. but even so, I trust the raw talent, and uh, yeah, I think there's 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 something to be salvaged there, and more than salvaged, I think he can thrive if he's put in the proper environment. The more I learn about Brad Lambert, the more I see Kasperi Kapanen as the absolute upside. 
because, you know, he's skates in a straight line very fast. He has a nice shot, nice offensive skill. But not only has he at best plateaued over the past like two or three seasons uh, in the Finnish league, which is a bad sign for a prospect, his he can't think the game in the offensive zone at a level that makes me comfortable taking him with like a top 15 pick. Is that is that easy? I think we end up with, uh, I don't know. I, I even threw out Carl Haglin as a potential, like that's what Brad Lambert could end up being, just someone who's fast and that's it, you know. Um, next up, Buffalo, ninth overall. I'm going to take a player who I had around like, you know, the bubble of the top 10, and I felt I was a little higher on than some others. And then I found that Elite Prospects ranked in number five, and they sold me on him even more. And that's Frank Nazar. I think Frank Nazar should be a top 10 pick. I'm going to mock him to Buffalo here, ninth overall. Because he is of players in this range, with if you look at Bob's list, who has in his R, I think 15, maybe he might not even go in this range. But if you look in this range, this is one of the only players that I really feel good about and confident in. And I think when you talk about a player who suffers from size bias, I think that's what Nazar is. Because with Savoie, who's very small too, at least a lot of people seem to be saying, oh, he'll probably like be moved to the wing at a higher level. And you can kind of, you know, justify a high pick in that way. Nazar, that's not really the talk. And I think part of it is because he's such a good center at the at the development program. He's one of those like quiet, quiet offensive players who, you know, he won't really wow you with, with flash or any highlight reel plays, but he's constantly able to, you know, find lanes, find seams, beat his teammates in the right spot. And he's defensively competent too, which is something you very much like to see. They're really is no downside in Nazar's game. And I think there's a second line center upside, maybe even a high-end one. I was going to say exactly that second line center seems to be exactly the role that he's cut out for. Uh, It doesn't sound like, it doesn't feel like he has the upside to kind of hit that one C. Um, But, you know, I would be very comfortable uh, with what he brings um, to kind of slot him in there as as a projection. Uh, Okay, so number 10, I've got Anaheim. uh, And I will draft, let's draft, uh, I'll draft Joachim Kamel. Um, yeah, he's just a very talented, very skilled winger. Uh, he's, you know, big goal scorer, not the greatest of movers, uh, but he does still have a lot of talent and yeah, he can, you know, he can drive play on his own, even despite the, the, the skating knock. And yeah, I think, yeah, bottom of the top 10 seems to be about right for him. I think I've seen him around seven in some places. So yeah, that's that. Yeah, it's, I think Bob's list did have him number seven. My hot take is that he falls out of the top 10 on draft day. I feel like people are kind of starting to cool off on Kamel because he had such a hot start to the season, got injured, and then was not his same self for the rest of the year. And I think people see, oh, yeah, you know, he's got a great shot. Um, But every other part of his game is kind of like just okay. And I think teams might go, eh, I'll look somewhere else. But 10th overall makes, makes sense, especially for the Ducks who... Zegris and McTavish are your one-two bunch forever, and Kamel can be, you know, a complimentary scoring winger. San Jose, number 11 for me. Talk about players I'm willing to go to bat for. I'm going to take Pavel Minchukov, 11th overall. The third best defenseman in the draft. Uh, you can listen to last week's episode to hear me rave about Pavel Minchukov. Um, the more I learn about him, the more I like him, and the more I think he has top pair upside. 
I actually, on my own personal final ranking, I ranked at number six. After that consensus top five we were talking about, um, I read an article about him on the the Athletic as well. I was talking about how oh, it actually your the headline, which was also like a quote from him, which English isn't his first language. He basically said, "I can do everything I want to do," in reference to playing ice hockey. <laughs> which I think is a great quote, even if it's perhaps not exactly what he meant. But I mean, you know, you watch his highlights from the OHL from playing in Saginaw. It kind of looks like he's just in total control of the game when he's at his very best. All right. Um, next up. I'll, well, yeah. Speaking of defensemen that we talked about last week with Columbus, they already took, so yeah, they've got pick six and 12. Uh, they already took Matthew Savoie. Uh, and yeah, they're pretty loaded at forward organizationally in terms of their use. So I'll go defenseman. I'll take uh, the other guy that we talked about last week. Denton Matejuk. Uh and yeah, we talked about this is a guy who yeah, on that second tier of defensemen, um, but you know, drives play uh and is very offensive minded, almost maybe too offensive too aggressive sometimes. Uh but even so, he's got the tools uh and you know the kind of playmaking ability to you know make it in the, make it in potentially as a top four role uh, in the NHL. Did you see where he was on Bob's list? Mm, I think it was in the 20s. Is that right? Yeah, 24, which is a crazy low. And Craig Button's mock draft came out, I think, like today or yesterday. He mocked him 30th overall to the Jets. <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> At, honestly, if he's available after 20, that's the point of the draft where every single pick comes screaming, take him a or it's dumb and wrong. And I foresee that happening a couple days from now. All right, Islanders number 13. I'm going to go with Jonathan LaCaramaki. I think this is a match made in heaven. Not necessarily because I'm in love with LaCaramaki, but the Islanders, look at the forwards they've drafted in the first round in recent years. Kiefer Bellows, Oliver Wallstrom. What do they have in common is that they were great goal scorers and the rest of their game was kind of like, eh, need some polishing up. And that's LeCaramaki to a T. So I'm not saying, you know, it would be necessarily genius of the Islanders to do the exact same thing again on two first-round picks for whom the early returns haven't been so great. I'm saying when it comes to drafting forwards, and I guess wingers specifically, they clearly have a type. Mm-hmm. Hmm. Yeah, all right. Uh, okay, who do I have now? I've got Winnipeg. Ooh. Hmm. I am. Te- Should I go defenseman here? Nah. Uh, I'm tempted. But, uh, yeah, I think it's too early. Well, you know, I could go Kevin Korczynski. That's about it. Eh, it's a bit too early for him. Uh, I'll go with. I'll go with the forward. I'll go with uh, Isaac Howard. Uh, Ooh. Yeah. Um. This is someone with uh, you know, lots of hockey sense. And, you know, he's got the smarts. Uh, offensively, and uh, that's that's where a lot of his upside lies. Uh, and he's able to, he's 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 a solid playmaker as well. And so yeah, he's got the talent at this point. If you're if you're Winnipeg, um, you know you would love to bolster the organizationally. You'd love to bolster the defense, perhaps with Minchukov or Matejak if they're still available. Uh, but just not there. Uh, there's no defenseman left. That kind of makes sense in this range for me. So yeah, going with Howard there, best player available. Vancouver is next for me. And their uh, pipeline need is center. Um, even, you know, they have, you know, Pedersen and Horvat on the team itself. JT Miller plays center too, although he might not be on the team that much longer. You look at the prospects though, and centers, 
are needed. And even if you have a lot of centers, you can always use more. I'm going to take Marco Casper. Not just because he fits that positional need, but I do think he's the best player available. I think he could go in the top 10 quite easily. Actually, I have him ranked number 10. Ahead of LeCarrie Mackey, actually. I just, Islanders LeCarrie Mackey seemed like a perfect fit. But anyway, uh, Marco Casper is a kind of very well-rounded forward in that he can play a power forward game. And that's the first thing that a lot of people seem to point out. Uh, but he's not limited to that. He's very versatile. I don't like to use the term Swiss Army Knife because to me, when evaluating prospects, that has a, a negative connotation in that, you know, jack of all trades, master of none. That's kind of what I hear. But what I mean when I say that is more that he has a versatile offensive toolkit and he can make you pay in many different ways. Okay, all right. Uh, with Buffalo's pick next, they've already they've already secured Frank Nazar earlier this draft and this mock. Um, I'm going to swing for the fences uh, because if you're Buffalo... You know, that's what you got to do because your organization stinks. So I'm going to take some. I'm going to take uh, Ivan Miroshnishenko. There we go. Uh, who, yeah, was was the, the big story with him, right? Was uh, he was a highly, t- probably top 10 kind of prospect heading into this year. Uh, but then, you know, he, he got, he was injured a bit and then was diagnosed with uh, Hodgkin's lymphoma. Sounds like uh, his, his, his treatment has been, uh, you know, completed. And he has started training. Um, so, you know, that's obviously, you know, like health-wise, that's a red flag. Uh, but if we look at, you know, his talent kind of pre-cancer diagnosis, uh, this was someone who, you know, had a ton of skill, was extremely well-rounded, uh, and had a lot of that offensive upside, whether it's, you know, the shot, whether it's the playmaking, uh, and the skating as well. It really seemed like he did have quite the package. Um Obviously, you know, it, it is a concern whether he can get back to full speed uh, and when and, and what that developmental path, li- path looks like. But if you're Buffalo, I'm comfortable taking that risk. A, because they already have a pick this round, um, and that's nice. Um, but, you know, I say swing for the fences. Yeah, people, th- the common, I guess, rule of thumb or whatever seems to be that teams are more willing to take big risks when they have multiple first-round picks. So if any any team is, you know, going to take a chance on a guy like that, sort of similar to like Hendricks LaPierre, who there were like serious questions after his neck injuries in his draft year. Um, obviously not exactly the same circumstances, but another kind of like high risk player who had been very highly touted before he had to miss a long stretch of time. So that's why, you know, Buffalo, Arizona, even Montreal who has two picks are the teams who are coming up when talking about this player. As for Nashville up next, I'm going to uh, lean a little bit more towards prediction rather than personal preference in taking Kevin Korczynski. I think he probably will be gone at this by this point because he's you know 11 on Bob's list. A lot of people seem to say he's you know th- like ahead of Minchukov and Matejchuk, despite the fact that his defensive game is atrocious. And his offensive game is, of course, you know, the totally opposite end of the spectrum. He has some of the best offensive tools by a defenseman in the whole draft. Probably number one, actually. Uh, And just the defensive side of the buck is the total opposite. I think Nashville, though, of course, has a great track record with defensemen historically. And if anyone can work with him, strong defensive development team to get him uh, up to snuff, it would be them. Yeah, Yeah, them with their history of defensemen um okay all right uh now i've got dallas 
Uh, who shall we go here? Hmm. Um, yeah, I think I'm going to go uh, again with a kind of prediction kind of vibe. Uh, I will be picking Danila Yurov, uh, who... Nice. Yeah, usually we see going up near like 15 in, the, in that kind of range. Uh, so, yeah, this is this is someone who's, you know, got a, is well-rounded, you could say. Um, you know, he maybe doesn't have like a, a particular skill that kind of makes him stand out. Uh, but, yeah, he's just kind of strong all around uh, and he makes for a good winger. Uh, so... Yeah, he's you know solid skater. There's nothing that kind. Of, there's no real red flag. Um, but there's nothing I would say that that kind of really pops out. But you know, this is his kind of range here at this point. All right, Minnesota number nineteen. Some might call it a slight reach, but I don't think so because uh, Jimmy Snuggerud is my personal late riser. I've him ranked number fourteen on my own list. He's my my all in. This guy's gonna be a rock star. And I think Judd Brackett and the Minnesota Wild scouting team are smart enough to recognize uh, that Jimmy Snuggerud, who shows excellent skill in flashes, but even when he's not producing, he's pushing pace, he's a contributor, he's generating chances at a decent rate, and he's defensively responsible. And I think he's even played a little bit of center, even though he's primarily a right winger, so that, of course, is is never a bad thing. I think Jimmy Snuggerud is going to become, at absolute worst, a third-line winger. But I absolutely see the path there. For just, you know, a little bit more refinement and a little bit more work on consistency for him to become a really key offensive contributor on an NHL team. Okay. All right. There's your there's your Alex hot take of the draft. Jimmy Snuggerud. That's not a hot take. Everyone, everyone loves Jimmy Snuggerud. <laughs> everyone loves him. <laughs> Fun name. I, I love the name. Can't dig Very the name. Um, His brother, yeah. I, I assume brother, because I don't know how common of a last name Snuggerud is, but yes, Luke Snuggerud <laughs> was drafted by Chicago in, I think, the fifth round in 2014 and never played an NHL game and is now in, like, the Czech League or something. Fun fact of the day. Thank you. Good to know. He's hockey family, as they say. Uh, all right. <laughs> Next up, who do I have? I've got Washington. Uh, so... Hmm. Okay. Yeah, they, they they could use a defenseman. I'm gonna be going Lane Hudson. Uh we talked about That's him early. last week. It's a little early. It is early. It is early. But you know what? He's it's uh he's small, but he's got the uh, I'm high on Lane Hudson. I wait, I thought I said last week we kinda we said like, you know, Korchinski, Matejuk, Minchukov, that's kinda one tier. And I argued, you know, Hudson's maybe not, you know, maybe the fourth guy in that tier. And so you know the people may not be high on this guy, but I think you know he's got he's got agility uh, that bigger defensemen don't have, and uh, he's a very very smart player, one of the smarter ones in this class. Uh, so he's got that vision going for him. That's something that I will be swinging on from the Washington Capitals in this position. Yeah, I also I think Hudson is a first round caliber player. As you approach the draft, you know, I am growing increasingly. Uh, you know, suspicious. No, that's not the right word. I don't think he's going to be taken on day one. I'd be kind of surprised at this point. I don't mm. think teams are willing to, you know, take a swing on the smarts um, just because of the frame and the fact that the frame hasn't really been challenged yet at the current level. Sometimes, you know, if you have a short player like playing in a European men's league, for example, or even like in college, 
and finding success, you might have a little bit more confidence that they'll be able to handle it. Hudson hasn't really had that uh, that luxury or that opportunity, I guess, uh, with the U.S. development program. Anyway, Pittsburgh, 21st overall. I'm going full prediction mode on this one because I absolutely think Connor Geeky will not fall beyond this point, even though I personally wouldn't start thinking about him till like the late 20s at the earliest. I see him mocked a lot to like Winnipeg at 14th overall. Um, and the reason I don't love him is because, well, I, I do think he gets the boost in rankings just from being big and from having a pedigree heading into this season where, you know, he's being thrown around as like a potential top five, top 10 pick. He's even still getting like a little bit of top 10 love, which I think would be ridiculous. Um, he does have decent skill, decent hands, um, but the speed isn't there, the foot speed, and I don't think there is enough skill uh, to make up for it that he won't top out as like a third line center, as like an Adam Lowry slash Michael Rasmussen type of player. But anyway, yeah. Pittsburgh got, took him 21st in the mock. <laughs> yeah, uh, it's, it's just, it's an upside problem, right? Um, there's, you know, back really anywhere in the first round, you want to be kind of hitting for home runs. And yeah, there's just not enough skill for me to kind of justify that. Uh, so yeah, I had stayed away from the guy uh, up until that point as well. Um, hmm. Okay, so we have Anaheim now. Uh, I'll take I'll take Noah Osland. Uh, Ooh. Yeah, he is. Uh, you know, very smooth center, and uh, so like you know, that's 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 what stands out about the guy. Uh, and yeah, he's also you know just great with the puck, and apparently he's good defensively, which like I don't particularly apparently. look for uh, in in a prospect, but sure. It's a boost. I'm already convinced with the uh, the prior two qualities. And so if he's got the smarts, he's got the skating, uh, I am willing to take that up here at 22 for Anaheim. I'm going to take his teammate, who I think is better than him, Liam Ogren. Uh, Osland, Ogren, and Lakara Mackey, who I took at 13th earlier, all spent a lot of time on the same line together this year, the top line uh, for the Jurgarden junior team. And... As you can probably tell by the fact that they're all going to be first-round picks, it was a very good line. Ogren scored like almost a goal a game clip, I think, for the season, in or at least the time he was in J20. And that's not even necessarily the calling card of his game. He does seem to be described as Swiss Army Knife, which is, as I said, you know, eh, not sure I totally feel about that. I do think this is a good range for him, though, the early 20s. He seems to be ranked around, like, in the top 20 in lots and lots of places because people love, besides the fact he clearly has offensive talent in abundance, even if it is at kind of a low level, um, he's the type of player who's easily projectable to a top six or a bottom six or the power play or penalty kill. And St. Louis seems to like when a player has that kind of flexibility. Okay, all right. Uh, on to Minnesota uh, for their second pick and five picks. Uh, I will be going with. I'll go with Yuri Kulich. Uh, you know he's got uh, two he's got forwards. Pick. Yeah, I know. I you know that's the thing. There's I don't know if there's any defenseman at this point at 24 uh, where you know I want to draft positionally at that point. They're good enough to do that. Uh, yeah. So 
Yeah, I went with Kulich. Like, I mean, ideally, you're picking, you know, a forward and a defenseman. As, but, you know, Minnesota, Minnesota, their pipeline uh, is pretty solid a defenseman anyways. So they're taking two forwards. I don't think they're complaining too much. Uh, and yeah. yeah, Kulich, Kulich is, uh, yeah, he's got that positional versatility. He can play all three forward positions. Um, but aside from that, he, uh, yeah, he's, he's got hands and he's, uh, he's a solid skater. So, you know, it seems like I'm saying a lot about, about saying that about a lot of the prospects that I'm picking, uh, seems like I got a type that's wild. Um, wow. but yeah, that's there, there we are. There we have it. That's my tell. Yeah. Saying you took two fours wasn't a criticism, which is kind of a, an observation. Mm. All right. I've got Toronto at number 25 here and I'm going to go with the combined prediction slash probably what I would want to do here too. Owen Beck. I'm a big Owen Beck fan. The more I learn about him, his point totals in the OHL weren't crazy. Um, but part of that was maybe, you know, slight bad luck, especially closer to the start of the season. Uh, but what's really what people like about his game is besides being very well-rounded is consistency. All the game reports are very similar to one, one another. He pretty much never had an off night. He was always, you know, pushing the play, pushing offense, generating chances. And he does have serious offensive touch. I think I saw, oh, I don't remember who it was. Cam Robinson maybe had, uh, I think Beck scored like an overtime goal, a highlight reel goal in the playoffs, maybe in the OHL or something. And everyone was like, wow, look at Owen Beck go. And specifically to the Leafs, he's one of only four players, apparently, who they've interviewed twice. So clearly there's interest. There we go. Okay. Uh, Montreal's second pick. Hmm. Where shall we go? So we said they took a... They said they, they took a center with the first pick. Okay, I'll go with a winger then. I'll take uh, Jagger Furcus. I knew it. I knew you were going to take Furcus. <laughs> I knew it. I knew it. <laughs> he, fits the ster- he fits the type, doesn't he? Um, He's exactly your type of player. He is. Absolutely. Uh, you know, your typical undersized forward. Uh, who, yeah, he's he's got skill, and that's what I love drafting for skill out in this out out in the first round. Uh, and you know he's he's not too fast as a skater as you would like for for an undersized guy like him. Um, but you know he's got playmaking ability, so I I'm I'm leaning on that, and I think he can he can work well as a second line winger. Mm-hmm. I like Furcus too. I wasn't making funny. I have him twenty four, but now. I'm going to take a player who I have had slid for various reasons. Who I actually have ranked number 20. And that's Owen Pickering. The second consecutive Owen I'm taking. Uh, so I talked about him a bit last week when you we were talking about defensemen. He's like six foot five. He's a pretty good skater. But he actually, an interesting thing about him is he hasn't been big for a long time. He has actually, he has grown, I think, like a foot in the past three years. Like, he was a short defenseman when he was, you know, 15 or something and just shot up growth spurt. And so his, his skating is, like, not particularly smooth now as he's, like, not totally used to being this big. But he still has a very nice toolkit. And so I think a lot of teams are looking at Pickering and seeing an extremely raw player who is very difficult to project into the NHL because he's very clearly an unfinished product. And if a good development team can get their hands on him, then we could be looking at an absolutely home run pick late in the first round. Um, 
do the Coyotes have a great development team? No idea. Probably not because it's the Coyotes, but I think they're going to give it a try anyway if the player is sitting there. Mm. Okay. All right. Uh, up next, we have Buffalo, their third pick. So let's see. Who have they taken so far? They've taken Frank Nazar, Dick Miroshnikov. Okay. Why not? Three forwards. Let's do it. Because, you know, who's who's the next defenseman on the board? Is it like fucking... Hmm. I guess it's Seamus, Seamus Casey. Seamus Casey. Yeah, Seamus Casey. Leon Bichelle. Uh, Calio yeah. Delius. Um, yeah, I'll go with Philip Mazar. Uh, <laughs> Not bad. <laughs> Still similar. So yeah, I yeah, gotta say. Uh, exa- oh my God. You love... <laughs> a small player who has high skill and or shoots well and scored a lot and does nothing else. What can I say? I'm a fan. All right. You know what? You put me at the head of a, you know, a drafting team. I'll draft seven of the same player. I don't give a shit. Um, <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, I, I, I would have drafted defenseman if you had left Pickering out there, but you just took him with Arizona, uh, unfortunately for me. So, you know, here we are again. Um, he's an even better skater than someone like Jagger Furkus. Uh, and yeah, he's just, he, what, there's, there's not much more to add other than, you know, he can make plays. He can cut, you know, he can kind of get to the, uh, you know, the prime scoring areas with his talent and just kind of play make from there. So there we go. All right. Edmonton, number 29. This is, um, I'm now I'm kind of half wishing I didn't take Pickering because I think you'd be a great fit with the Oilers, but that that's not the game we're playing because that's not how these teams think. Obviously. Oh, let's leave him for Edmonton. He'd be such a good fit there. Um, <laughs> but I thought you were going to laugh at that. That was pretty funny, I thought. Anyway. Uh, actually, there is a player who I have ranked around here who is ranked 26 on Bob's list, who is somewhat similar to Pickering in that they're both left-shot six-foot-five defensemen. And that's Leon Bichel. Mm. I think this is the Oilers' pick here. I think that's a great fit. I think, first of all, left defense... Uh, is a need for them going forward, especially after Duncan Keith eventually retires. I think they like tall players, tall defensemen uh, like Darnell Nurse. And I don't think this guy's going to be as good as Darnell Nurse, but he kind of looks like Darnell Nurse and has a similar sort of style in that he's, you know, hard-hitting defense first with maybe another layer of offense that could be unlocked in the future. Okay. I I am I'm not high on on Bichelle. Is, is this a predictive pick or are you like this where is do you a have predictive Bichelle? Pick. Okay, where do you have Bichelle, Bichelle on your board? Yeah. I have him 32, which is lower okay. than consensus, but not crazy low because I do think I do think there is you know a little bit more of an offensive dimension to his game than like a Brooks or pick or something. I think there's room to grow. Sure, room to grow, perhaps. Um, I would have him somewhere in the 40s, so you know even lower. I'm just not sold on drafting that kind of guy uh, in the first round where he, you know, he hasn't proven that kind of offensive potential in any sort of way. He's just kind of big. Um, okay. Off to the jets. I think I'll, I'll take, I'll take a defenseman. Uh, finally. Um, I'll take Seamus Casey. Um, yeah, this is, this is a, a, a man. I'm just, I'm just drafting everybody who's like five foot 10 and around that height. Um, <laughs> But yeah, this is uh, this is what I think you should draft in the first round. I think it's you know someone who's a puck mover 
uh you know and and this is as one of his uh main features main, main and that's and that's a damn good one if you're a defenseman uh and he can even play both sides apparently so there we go that's that's Seamus Casey for you all right my last pick is Tampa Bay 31st I'm going to take the best player left on my list Brad Lamb oh oh wait you already took him eighth overall <laughs> <laughs> In actuality, I will take the best player on my list who's left, where I have rank number 25, and that's U.S. Development Program winger Rutger McGrordy, leadership offensive touch man. And I'm not surprised you stayed away from him because he's not such a great skater. He has an awkward stride, many say. But I'm going to compare him to another player who was who was ranked around late first round in his draft year, who slipped to the second because of being a poor skater, who has turned out ex- exceptionally well. And that's Jason Robertson. And I don't think Rucker McGordy is going to be as good as Jason Robertson. But Jason Robertson, Mark Stone is another player that comes to mind, uh, are case studies in the theory that, you know, if you're smart and skilled enough, you don't have to be the fastest guy. If you move in a smart way, if you go to the right spots, it doesn't necessarily, it isn't necessarily the game breaker how quickly you got there. Okay. All right. You know what? I was going to take Rugger with Arizona's pick, so I'm kind of upset. Um, Because, yeah, he was, uh, yeah, he just got, I got a, he slid. He did slide. And I was like, maybe I can, that's why, you know, when I I picked uh, Seamus Casey for the Jets, I was like, maybe I should save Seamus Casey and, uh, you know, take Rutger. I had, I had a feeling that you were going to go with him with Tampa Bay. And, uh, yeah, I think that's a good fit. Um, all right. Last pick of this draft, Arizona. Uh, hmm. Let's see. Where, 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 who have they picked so far? They picked Pickering. Is that it? No, they, they took Slavkovsky. And Slavkovsky. All right. Uh, hmm. Where should Could we go? Could go for a center? Yeah, I'm a center yet. I was gonna go for a center. Uh, okay, all right. I'll go with somewhat of a predictive pick. I don't love the prospect, uh, but uh, it's uh, it's Luca Del Belbaluz. Hey. Yeah. Uh, to kind of wrap out the first round. Not a great skater, is uh, the knock on this guy. But you know, he's got tools. Uh, you know, he's a solid puck handler, uh, and he's got you know a decent shot. So you know, some offensive upside there for sure. Uh, and you know enough to, to kind of take them to, to wrap up the first round. Nice. Uh, notably, uh, the only player actually in my top thirty-two who we didn't take is Jack Hughes. Um, not to be confused with Jack Hughes of the New Jersey Devils. I have him twenty-six. He's ranked and mocked around like the mid-second round in a lot of places. I think there are there's more upside and more offensive tools there than some give him credit for and another player who I am very confident will be drafted in the first round despite the fact that I don't think he should be is center Nathan Gaucher of the Quebec boo. Remparts you don't have to boo him oh come on <laughs> sorry uh, he's he's kind of like uh I I the very generous comparison is like James Van Riemsdyk even though Gaucher is a center for now a lot of people project him as a winger, a power winger, he'll like you know, get to the front of the net, try to tip pucks in, uh, and be defensively responsible. And I'm just honestly, really, if that's your calling card in junior, I'm not sold that it's translated 
to the pro level in an effective way. But teams seem to like him as a, you know, uh, high floor player, as a John Beecher type, Freddie Freddy Gauthier type, Trent Frederick type. So uh, so I don't be surprised to see him gone on day one. Yeah, no, I think I've, I've I don't know if I've ever seen him outside of the first round in any mocks that are kind of more predictive. Um, you know, obviously a lot of people are like lower on him, but you know, everywhere where like, you know, like a Bob's list, he's in the first round. Uh, and yeah, but yeah, no, I just, whenever you hear, Oh, he's a high floor kind of player. Get the fuck out of here, man. And it's like, <laughs> as that's, that's, that's a terrible pick. So, you know what? The boo isn't for Nathan Gauthier. I wish you the best of luck. Great success. My apologies. If you thought that was for you, it's for the general manager. who's going to pick him in the first round as a poor decision. And the other player who I'm quite confident will go day one, knocking out, you know, Seamus Case, your Lane Hudson, is uh, Ryan Chesley, who we talked about a little bit last week, who's a defensive stalwart. And it goes, <laughs> oh, he can sure stop those players from scoring uh, with, you know, extremely limited offensive upside. And uh, even with that, who's to say that his defensive prowess will translate against tougher competition than his teammates at the development program? Uh, Tristan Luno is another one who may go very late first and is sort of in a similar mold to Ryan Chesley with maybe a tad more offense to his game. Right. So you see where, who we kind of left out there seems to be sort of a type. Um, yeah, it's just, you know, we, we, we talked about it beforehand. Uh, we're not high on low high floor guys who have a low ceiling, uh, because that's not what the draft is for. I say it, I say, I'll say it again over and over. Um, if you're if you're doing that, what are you doing? You're just putting your job at risk. And at best, you know what? You got yourself a a fourth defenseman. Congratulations. Pat yourself <laughs> on the back, you know? Mm-hmm. All right. Well, that's our round one mock. I hope it gave you a little extra insight into players you might see go off the board early on Thursday. Or, you know, obviously some of them will be the Friday. Uh, we are... I will again say going to be there at day two of the draft starting chance for the best players that are left on the board at certain points, obviously Uh, next week we're going to be back. We're going to do a comprehensive draft recap. I imagine. I also imagine we're going to see some exciting trades, maybe some free agency developments as a week from today, free agency will only be two days away from opening. Also, if you haven't noticed yet, we kind of made a, a switch to Mondays instead of Sundays as uh, our new routine, at least temporarily, we're going to see how we like it moving forward and we might stick with it. Yep. All right. So that's a solid. Anything else you want to add before we call it a week? Nope. Thanks for listening to Fusion and Hockey Podcast. Instagram, Fusion and Hockey Podcast. Twitter, at Alex's new handle, at Tai Seifu. That's the end of the episode. The end. The end.